Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Hey, welcome to Midweek. We are glad that you are hanging out with us this evening. For the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the Last Supper, uh, specifically John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. We're not going to be looking at John 17. That was actually, we got to cover that the very last Wednesday of 2022. So the very last midweek that we had, that we wrapped up last year, uh, we covered that. And so we're not going to cover that uh, again. Um, if you want to go back, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. So you can Listen to our Wednesday nights and our Sunday mornings on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, I didn't get into an argument with my dad because I respect him and honor him, right? Um, but uh, he was like, hey, how can I go back and listen to him? I said, yeah, you can go back and listen to him on iTunes or Spotify. He goes, I don't have that. I said, dad, you it's, it's on there. And so I showed him. There's a little podcast thing. I clicked on it and I searched Foundations Church and it was right there. He goes, oh, okay. I said, see, there you go. Learn something new every day. But uh, you can go back and listen to Sunday sermons or our midweek uh, things as well. But tonight we're going to be in John chapter 13. We'll have the notes on the screen behind me. We also have them on our FC app. If you haven't downloaded that, it's, it's great not just to follow sermon, not sermon notes on Sundays or Wednesdays, but you can serve, you can join a connect group, you can do all kinds of cool things. So I'd encourage you to download um, our Foundations Church app if you have done that. And then of course, if you'd like to uh, do old school pen and paper. That's, that's me. Um, then, uh, we've got some note, notepad and pens back there on the table. Um, but we're going to jump right into it. We're going to read, uh, John chapter 13, uh, starting in verse one, we're going to go through verse 11. It says now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. If you've been in any of our midweeks, you know that we talk about context a lot. You know, the context of Scripture, the context of who the author was and, and who he is writing to and the passages that surround it. And we get to John chapter 13, and we have to understand the context in which these next five chapters are in. Um, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. These are, these are written um, just a few hours before Jesus is to be betrayed tried, beaten, and executed. These, these chapters are written in, with the shadow of the cross looming large. 
And, and so we, we see this, that Jesus is having this meal with his disciples. And you look through the book of John and Jesus says several times that my hour has not yet come. We see it in John 2 when he's talking to his mom. He says, hey, we need you to do something about this, this situation where he's, they ran out of wine. We need you to do something. And he goes, woman, my hour hasn't come yet. But here he says, knowing that his hour had come, that he, that his time, his purpose was right at hand. Um, we look at John chapter 12, verse 27, and this is for the triumphal entry. This is during the Passion Week. This was maybe three or four days before this dinner took place. Maybe, I mean, around there. It's, it's, within, a, it's within five days, at least. And Jesus says something in John chapter 12 that that. Uh, we see something in Jesus that we don't really see. We haven't really seen before. John chapter 12, verse 27. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Now we've seen Jesus do miracles. We've seen him teach with authority. We've seen him silence critics and amaze the crowd. Here he says something that we haven't really caught before. He says, my soul is troubled. The, the word troubled there in the original language um, kind of has the, con- like the connotation of horrified. And he's like, my, I'm, I'm horrified at what I'm about to experience. And we see a similar moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's praying and he says, Father, if it's possible, pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And in, verse, and in chapter 12, verse 27 he says, uh, my, I'm horrified at what I am about to experience, but what am I going to do? Say, God, save me. He says, no, this is the reason that I've come to earth. This is the reason why I'm here. As much as, it, it's, as, much as it, it pains me to see what is coming, this is the reason I was, was sent here. Um, and and he's, it's, it's amazing that... Um, that in his last few hours, he has the, the clarity of mind to pour into his disciples before his life is poured out for us. Picture, if you will, if you knew that your, your death um, was going to happen tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., and it wasn't, hey, I just fall asleep and I just don't wake up, but that your death is, is a public, um, excruciating, horrifying death, would you be here tonight? Would you, would you just be sulking? Would you, you would be surrounded by the ones you loved, but you probably wouldn't be teaching them these deep life lessons. And even if we could possibly put ourselves into that position in this hypothetical, there's a way that we could even experience a fraction of what Jesus, the weight that was on Christ. And so this is the context in which these next chapters are in where it's not a woe is me, but it's this is the legacy that I'm leaving, if you will. Like, these are the things that I'm teaching you. Um, we see that it is, it, this dinner is happening before the feast of the Passover. Now, the Passover, if you are familiar with the Old Testament, is the celebration of the Israelites being released from um, captivity in, in Egypt. Uh, it's, the, it's the celebration of last plague that was the final straw that Pharaoh was like, I've had enough. You guys get out of here. Where God said, I'm going to send an angel to sweep through this town and going to kill the firstborn of everyone. The only way you can escape it is by having the, the, the blood of a sacrificed lamb spread over your doorpost. And so the Israelites did that. And so it's not a coincidence 
that Christ is crucified on Passover weekend, that he is the lamb that was slain, that, that his blood covers us, that his blood saves us from the judgment that God has stored up for those, right? So we're understanding that it's not just, oh, it's okay, it's, a, it's another Jewish holiday, but it is a very significant um, monumental holiday that they are celebrating. And Jesus is the Passover lamb. He says that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is an interesting statement. Um, who did he love? It's not a trick question. Who do you love? His own, right? He loved his own. Um, and some of us are like, well, I thought, you know, John 3.16 said that, for God so loved the world. Well, yes, but we have to understand there is a difference here, right? Um, he does love the world, but it's more in the sense of like the way the creator loves his creation. Um, this is a different love. And Jesus kind of reinforces this idea in John 17. He says, I am praying um, for them. And he's talking, remember, he's talking to the disciples. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for those you have given me, for they are yours. And so Jesus is praying for his own, that he loves his own. And, and this next phrase might be one of the, the coolest phrases that we see about God's love that we can skip over really, really easy. He says, he loved them to the end. Now, I have to be honest, when I first read this, and every time I've read it, uh, before doing any kind of, of thinking on it or studying on it, I just thought he had loved them properly to the end of his life, right? That he had loved them. He, he did what he was supposed to do. He loved them, and now he's about to leave. Um, but in the Greek, it reads, it reads this. It says, he loved them, Aistelios is the Greek, and it means that he loved them into eternity. Um, that 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 he loved them to the limit, to the fullness of his capacity. He loved them as much as an eternal God could love something. So it's not just he loved them while he was here on earth. He loved them up until the last breath that he took, but he loved them in the greatest sense that he could love anyone. And it's it's a perfect, saving, eternal love that he has loved his disciples with. Um, and we need to understand something that there is a difference between being in the world and being God's adopted children. There is a difference there. Um, and it's, a, it's an adoption that we should be humbled by, not one that we should find some sense of entitlement that, that we deserve to be adopted, but that God saw fit to adopt us, not that we did something on our own merit. And he loved us with an, uh, an indescribable love. Um, it's a love that knows no limits. Verse 2 goes on, and it tells us something interesting. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. And you see that the devil is working here um, in, in Judas's heart. And you look at John chapter 8, verse 44, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And these are to the religious leaders. And you see something here. You see the devil working in these religious leaders in Judas. And the devil's doing what the devil does is he's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he's corrupted the Pharisees. He's corrupted Judas. The devil had brought these two together to conspire against Jesus in an attempt to destroy him. All right? And in the eyes of the Pharisees, they are finally accomplishing what they have wanted to do is to shut Jesus up. 
right? They, they had tried, they had failed, but they had someone who was on the inside. Um, they had witnesses lined up to testify against him. Think about that. They, they tried him early in the morning and they already had people ready to go to testify against him. Do you ever think about that? And they knew that, that it was custom to try to release someone on, on this weekend. And so they said, okay, we've got this one guy, this murderer who's leading this insurrection. Do you want to release him or do you want to release this guy that's calling himself the Messiah? And they stirred up the crowd to chant Barabbas, give us Barabbas. They had accomplished everything they had set out to do to kill this man who was making these claims to be the son of God. But God being God and working all things out for the good according to his purpose, and if we can quote what Joseph said in Genesis 50, what you intended for evil, God meant it for good. So like we talked about earlier, you see that the darkness cannot comprehend it. The darkness cannot overcome the light. You want to talk about the sovereignty of God, that even the best laid plans of Satan cannot thwart the ultimate will of God. It's pretty incredible, right? That in the minds of these men, in the of the devil, they thought they were doing their thing. They thought they were doing God's will. The Pharisees thought they were doing God's will, carrying out his plan, right? We're, we're going to kill this man who's been blaspheming and, and speaking, saying that he's the son of God. God's like, Okay, just wait, just wait. Jesus was right when he said, your will is to do what your father desires, and their father was the devil. Jesus knew that he was going back to God, right? He knew that he had enjoyed this relationship before his time here on earth, and he's ready to go back to be glorified with his father, um, authority over all sitting at the right hand of God. But before he does that, before he does that, while he's on earth, he takes this role of a servant. And this is how he lives. And at this moment, he just doesn't take the role of a servant, but he begins to take the, the garb, the dress of a servant. He takes off his outer cloak. He takes off his tunic and he wraps a towel around his waist that, that he isn't just saying, I came not to be servant to serve, but he is being a servant. I want you to understand something. And this got to me earlier, and it might get to me again, but I hope not. Um, but he washed his disciples' feet, all of them. Every one of them that was there, he washed their feet. That included Judas. That he washed their feet. And, and, another, and it, I never thought of it this way. I was like, okay, yeah, you know. He was about to wash the feet of the man. This man's feet were going to carry him to the Pharisees. This man's feet were going to carry him back to where Jesus was, was going to lead a mob to have Jesus arrested. This man's feet were going to walk up to Jesus to kiss him, to betray him. And Jesus still did what? Still washed his feet. It's pretty amazing, but here's the thing, that a servant, a servant only does what their master commands them to do, right? And there's no discrimination in servitude. And this physical act of, of Jesus washing feet, it's unheard of because he's a rabbi. He's the teacher. He's the, the master of this group of men. And if anyone was going, if any of these men were going to wash his feet, they would have had to have had a pecking order. And whoever ranked the bottom of the barrel would have been 
the one that may have washed his feet because this act of foot washing was reserved for servants and not just any servants. It was reserved for Gentile servants, not a Jewish servant. They would not even allow a Jewish servant um, to wash feet. And what does Jesus do? He serves him. He takes on the role of a servant. And and he gives us an example to follow that we should be compelled to follow, not out of fear or some obligation, but we are compelled out of love to serve one another. Uh, Serving others means doing something even if we consider it beneath us. Even if we're serving someone who has hurt us, who's betrayed us, that we still serve them. And this is what Jesus did when he left heaven and came to earth. This is what Jesus did when he lived his life. This is what he did when he washed the disciples' feet. And this is what he did when he died on the cross. Philippians 2, verse 5 through 7 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Mark 9, 35, And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If any one would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus continues washing his disciples' feet and he gets to Peter and Peter pulls a Peter and he tells Jesus what to do. It's kind of, kind of Peter's MO. And he still doesn't fully understand what's happening. And Jesus tells Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Peter says, then wash my head and my hands as well. Do you think Jesus is, is simply talking about washing Peter's feet here? No, there's, there's something else, right? He's not like, I mean, your feet are dirty. If you don't let me wash your feet, then I guess like you're not my disciple. No, no, no. There's a deeper significance at work here. 1 Corinthians six eleven, And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Titus 3, verses 5 and 6. He saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Isaiah 1, 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If we're not washed clean, by the forgiving love and, and blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out on the cross for our sins and we have no share with him. This is what Jesus is talking about here. That he is the only mediator between God and man, that, that he is the only bridge between us and God. There is no other. And, and when we say that when Jesus is the only way, a lot of times we get pushback. People are like, that's very exclusive, right? That's, that's not, the, you may hear, have you guys ever heard that before? That's like, it's, I don't think it's fair that there's only to God. Like that's, that's not fair. Um, people would say things like there's, I think there's many roads that lead to God. <laughs> you're like, yeah, I mean, technically you're right. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're live however you want to. If you think that's going to take you to God, you'll stand before him in judgment. So sure. I mean, that's, you're right. Um, but when we talk about eternity and eternal life, there's only one road. And I would, I would even go as far to say, um, why did God even give us one way? Like what, what, did, what was so special about me or you that deserve salvation? People say it's not fair that there's only, I say it's not fair there is a way at all. 
And so we aren't deserving of that salvation. That, it, that it's, it's God in his mercy provided the perfect sacrifice. And that if we want eternal life, if we want to share in Jesus, like he's talking to Peter, then we have to be washed in him. And that's the only way. And Jesus gives us a metaphor to go a little bit deeper into what he's talking about. He says, if someone's already bathed, if they're, they're already clean, they don't need to be washed again, except for their feet. Um, what he's saying is that if you've been washed by me, if you've been saved, if you've been adopted into the family, adoption is a one-time event. And that it's not, you don't need to be adopted again and again and again and again. But what does need to happen is there does need to be the washing away of those sins. Your feet are dirty. And we talked about this when we talked about the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus says, he's teaching the disciples how to pray. And he says, forgive us of our trespasses. That's not a salvation prayer. He's saying, I, I've, we've broken your law. You're my father. You're my heavenly father, and I've broken your law. Please forgive me of my sins. It's not a salvation prayer, right? That's, God has taken care of that. He has saved us. He has regenerated us. We are a new creation. We are born again. We're not unborn. The Bible's not about that. You're not unborn. You're born again. You're born from above. You're born by the Spirit. And then there is this washing that takes place, this sin in our life that we need to confess and that we need to repent of. And, and 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is what? He is faithful and just to forgive us to wash us, if you will, of all unrighteousness. And so that's the first 11 verses. I got to this point in in the lesson and studying for it, and I realized there's no way I can possibly cover all of chapter uh, 13. Um, To be fair, I haven't done a great job of covering what we have already covered because I wanted to like, I was just trying to get to what it to. Um, And so what we're going to do now is we're going to skip down to verse 31, not because the other verses are not important, um, but because I was reading it and I was looking through and thanks to some advice from um, a a wise friend of mine, um, I was like, all right, this is what I haven't got to out of these passages. What is something that that I want to hit on? And it's John chapter 13, verse 31 through 35. It says this, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I have said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, we, we just skipped, uh, what did we skip? We skipped like 20 verses. So go back and read those. Um, go back and read those verses. Talks about Judas and the betrayal and, and Jesus talking about that. Um, but we get to this section, and this section starts a different tone that's kind of carried on throughout the rest of the five chapters um, uh, in this evening. I mean, this evening, I mean the, the Last Supper evening is what I mean. Um, between Jesus and his disciples. It starts out and says, when he had gone out, who had just left? We didn't, Judas had just left, okay? So when he had just left, Judas had just left, Jesus is with the other 11 faithful disciples, okay? It's just them. Have you ever been in a meeting or you've been in a conversation and someone you didn't want to be in there was in there and they leave and you go, all right, now that they're gone, anyone? Okay, it's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He says, now, all right, he left, now. Now I've got some things I want to tell you. I want to tell you disciples, you faithful followers. Are we disciples? Are we followers of Christ? 
Yes. All right. Jesus is talking to us here. Okay. This is, this is something we can, we can hold on to because this is Jesus' conversation with his disciples. This applies to us. It begins with Jesus in, in just the only way that I can describe that, that someone who is fully man and fully God can do. Jesus is looking past the agony of his death right here. He's looking. It's been bothering him. We see in John 12 that his soul is troubled, but here he's looking past that. He's looking past the thing that's troubling him, and he's looking to the glory that's awaiting him. Um, He's looking towards his glorification, his exalted state, and how God is glorified in him. And through the death and resurrection of Christ, the power and majesty of God is made known, right? between God and man has been bridged. If you look at, at the New Testament, that the curtain in the temple is ripped, that there is a significance that is happening. And we see the fullness of the love of God on display for his children through the events that are about to unfold. And so he's looking past all of that to the, the joy, if you will, in, in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, um, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That he was able to endure what he endured because there was a greater promise on the other side, a greater um, joy that was on the other side of that. So he's about to be glorified, about to accomplish his will. Um, God's going to be glorified in all of this. And Jesus addresses his disciples as little children. Now, there are several times where they have acted like little children, where they've been ignorant, they've been idiots, they've done stupid things. Um, But this term, children, is a term that's only used once in John's gospel. Paul uses it once in Galatians, and John uses it again in 1 John like seven times. And it's in a term of endearment. It's a term that is, that is reserved for, for teachers talking to their disciples. And so if you want, we could maybe relate it to this conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John 3 about this new birth, right? That these are God's children, little children. You are, you are a different breed here. You're, not, you're no longer like immature little idiots, but now you are, you're something new. You're disciples. You are followers of me. He says, little children, I'm not going to be with you much longer. You'll look for me, but you won't find me. Do you remember what I told the Pharisees not too long ago? You can't go where I'm going. Earlier in John, John chapter 8, verse 21, Jesus told the Pharisees something very similar, but there was some, some, a little bit more worrisome language. Jesus said this. He said, uh, I am going away and you will seek me. Very similar so far. And you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Very, very similar to what he's talking to his disciples here. But remember, he's talking to his followers. So the you will die in your sin is left out because he's talking to his followers at this point. But he's saying this thing. He's saying, hey, I've got to go do something that you cannot be a part of, that only I can carry out. I have got to die. I've got to go to the Father. You're going to look for me, but you won't be able to find me because you can't go where I am going. And he says something to him that makes me think he has some short-term memory loss. He says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. This, I hate to break it to you, this command isn't new. Sorry, this is like, you know how we talked about we don't give God any information he didn't already know? He says, this is a new command. I want to be like, no, it's not. It's not a new command. It's not a new command because earlier in the week, he had this conversation where we read what is, you know, the the greatest commandments. He said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great, this is the great and first commandment. 
And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This law is actually pretty old. Leviticus 19.18, Leviticus. You guys know the one where it has all these weird rules about purification of boils and all this? Yeah, that's that book. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is not a new commandment. So what is Jesus saying? It's not a new commandment, but it's new in the sense that it goes deeper and goes further than the original commandment. And this is what Jesus has done, right? When he says, you've heard it say, don't commit adultery. What does he say? Don't even look at a woman. You've heard it say, don't murder. But what do I say? Don't even hate someone. You've heard, you know, you've heard it said like, you know, don't murder your enemies. But what do I say? I said, love them and pray for those who persecute you. And so Jesus is taking this commandment and taking it a step further. How do you take it a step further? He says, you love one another as how? As I have loved you. You love with a sacrificial love. Understand that right now they're like, okay. But in three days, they're going to be like, oh, okay. Okay, I, I, see, I see what's going on here. We, we, live, we love in such a way that we are willing to lay our life down for another. Remember, that's what's happening on the cross, just you know, 12 hours away. Um, that we are to love as Christ loved us. First Peter 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 1 John 4, 7, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It's this higher standard, this deeper calling than just the, the original law because it's a sacrificial love, but it's a higher standard because it's a love that is birthed out of a regenerated heart that the old commandment was birthed out of obligation to the law. But this new commandment is birthed out of a love for Christ. And so because we love Christ, we are going to love one another's. And that this love is what fulfills the commandments of God. First John three fourteen, And we know that we have passed out of death into life. How? Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not abide, whoever does not love abides in death. What does this love do? Man, it achieves the greatest good. In all, search, in all circumstances, if I see a brother sinning, that I go to him and try to lovingly draw him back into repentance, right? To draw him back into this relationship with Christ, that I call out sin and it may be home, but the most loving thing to do is to bring them back. That if I see a brother hurting, that I reach out to them, I do everything I can to comfort them and to restore them and to help them. If I see a brother celebrating out of love, I celebrate and I praise God with him and thank God with him that I don't get jealous, and this is what love does. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 8. You're all familiar with it. It's read in weddings, but the context there is maybe a little out of context. But here's what love does in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 8. Love is patient and kind. Does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. What did John 13, 1 say? Kind of interesting. Having loved his own, he loved, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to what? The end. Pray, Father, we come for you this evening. God, and thank you 
for the words that were, were given to the disciples in the final hours of Christ's life. God, I pray that as, as we read your word, as we dig into your word, that these words penetrate our heart, they change us, they transform us. God, and that the world knows who we are by the way that we love one another. God, that we are willing to love in the way that Christ loved us. God, we thank you. God, work in us, move in us, and change us. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv. Thank you.